DJ, are you there, buddy? Yes, I'm here. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to have you read Hebrews 4, the whole chapter. I'm going to put it right here for you. It's going to be verse 1 through 16. And then uh, we'll break that down. Go ahead, DJ. Okay. Therefore, while the promise entering the, his rest still stands, let us, let us fear lest, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news, for good news came to to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith who with those who listened. For we have believed, entered the rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath that, that they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished for the foundation of the world. For he was, for he had somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way and God rested on, and God and God rested on the seventh day from all his works and again in the passage he said thou they shall not enter my rest since therefore it remains for some to enter it and those who formally received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience Again, he appoints a certain a certain day today, saying the words. I mean, today saying to David for so long afterward, and the words already quoted. Today, you hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts, for Joshua give them rest, and God will not spoken another day on later on. So then they remains in Sabbath in a Sabbath. So they so rest of for the rest of God for the rest of the people of God for whosoever has entered God's rest has also rested from from his works as God did from his let us therefore strive and enter that rest so that there, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience for the word of God wait for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and discerning the intentions and the heart and of the heart. And no create creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom we must give account, since then they have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize our own weaknesses, but one who is every respect has been has has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. There's no verse sixteen, by the way. I can't. And let us let us then approach God's throne of grace with with confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. Thank you, DJ. Well, everybody, we are in Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, we're going to back it up to verse 1. And do me a favor, if you're jumping into the, the Bible study, mute your mic for me. And then when you have something to share, just unmute yourself. Or uh, rather, let us know in the chat. And then... Uh, you can unmute yourself once we call on you. 
but we want to make sure we have order and no background noise. So Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to break this down together. If you guys have any questions, thoughts, again, we welcome that. I love discussion. Just make sure you raise your hand and let us know you have something to share. So it says in chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard didn't benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, and he's going to quote from Psalm 95, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Even though his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So there you go, the first three verses of chapter four. Um, thoughts, questions, insights, cross-references. Uh, Luis, go ahead. That's your wow, name. we were, this has got to be the Holy Spirit. We were just on this topic right now. So the, um, the first thought that comes to my mind is uh, cross-reference to the, the Sabbath how the um, the uh, the Sabbath was was made for for men, not men for the Sabbath, and so that we're to rest on Jesus Christ because He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Also, another reference is the finished work in the cross that we were just talking about allow us to enter into his eternal rest by believing in that finished work of the cross, allowing us to rest assured that he did all the work for us and that no man can boast on his salvation by anything. So, it's truly out of love for us that he did that, that he sent his only begotten son so that through him, all that believe should have that eternal life, which parallels with that rest that we're entering while we're still here. That's all I have to say. Yeah, good stuff. Lots of cross-references. What also comes to mind is uh, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary. I'll give you rest. So, you know, we'll get to the the middle of chapter 4 where it says, uh, Strive to enter that rest. And at the same time, <laughs> Jesus says, Come, I'll give it to you. So what does it mean to strive if it's a free gift? We'll talk about that. But any thoughts? questions just about the first three verses um there is a call to fear appropriately which i don't want to miss that you know rest is a key idea here in this passage for sure um but it is a promise so it's framed up as a promise um but what seems to be a conditional promise because apparently not everyone will meet uh will enter into that rest he says some people failed and there's a promise that still stands. So if it's a promise, how can someone fail to reach it? Because it's conditioned 
upon someone's someone doing what God says is necessary to enter that rest. So there is a call to enter that rest. I think we often think of rest. Uh, I guess there's a lot to say about that. So I won't go there yet. <laughs> we'll see where you guys take this. Daniel. Go ahead, Daniel. Good evening. Good morning. Hey, how are you? Sorry, I just switched the phone back on. <laughs> um, just been spending a bit of time in a passage that's been um, – sorry, just – to uh, get to it, like in John 6, when after he's walked on water, Jesus and there, uh, it says he's the bread of life, <clears throat> and the people are following him and trying to make him the king, right? And he's saying how they're seeking him only because they want certain things. And I guess this links to the people grumbling in the wilderness. So Israel is all that's grumbling in the wilderness as well, right? But they're looking for you know the food that perishes, right? <clears throat> But um, Jesus then says to them, because they go to them, Rabbi, Rabbi, this is the specific part when they're talking about, we're talking about entering rest, right, but also the um, that fear that you're saying that we should, you know, there's a fear of like, what, what are we going to do? And this is what they're saying. <clears throat> Verse 25, when they found him on the other side, they said, Rab, uh, sorry, not there, 20, uh, says, what must we do to be entering the works of, sorry, to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered and says, this is the work of God that you believe in whom he sent. This is where I see this massive correlation because we're striving, right, to enter this rest by the works that we do. And this is the problem that we face because of the society we're in and the, work, the lifestyle, the ways this world, we've got to do something to earn it. But Jesus is telling them to, our work is to actually trust in have faith in something outside of us that has done the work for us, which is him. And so I think this is really important for us in, in relation to entering that Sabbath rest is realising that his grace and it's a gift that give, he's given to us and our, our efforts are in sustaining that believing loyalty. Absolutely. I, John 6 is a great parallel because he just say, come, you know, um, and then he tells them, you refuse to come. <laughs> it's like, come and eat the bread that God has provided. Um, and they refuse to, man. And then James makes a good point in verse 3, to enter into the rest means to believe. means to believe. Um, now, what does it mean to believe? It means to trust, rely on, look to. Um, and obedience is actually synonymous with faith believing so there are people who didn't believe the promise so we got to think about you know why didn't they enter the promised land the the generation of israelites that came out of egypt um the parents at least why didn't they enter well he tells us straight up in chapter 3 verse 19 because of unbelief you know they didn't believe the promise of god that he could handle their enemies that he'd actually get them in um they actually looked at their enemies and said, mm, nah, we do not think you can handle that. They're big. And then God goes, fine. You don't want to take me at my word and move forward in faith? You don't get in. And then they go, well, you know what? We're sorry. Let's go. And he's like, I'm not with you. They're like, no, you are. And God says, I'm, I'm not. And they end up losing in a battle with some of the Canaanites. And so. Uh, there, there is that idea of they're so rebellious on both sides. They'll believe what God said not to do, 
and then they'll refuse to believe what God said to do. It's just, no matter what, they're going to turn into disobedience somehow. So it's this continual disobedience and rebellion that culminates in them not getting in the promised land. And in a greater spiritual sense, there are people who chance after chance are given this opportunity to enter into the rest God has provided through Christ. They don't want it. And there's no holy reverence or fear. Um, there's presumption and rebellion and and uh, a lot of self-righteousness and arrogance. And they don't enter God's promised rest because they refuse to come to him to actually have it. Um, so the idea of failing to reach God's rest is synonymous with not believing. Because entering is believing. <laughs> it's actually quite simple. But at the same time, there's so many layers to it. Um, so yeah, that's why the message didn't benefit them in verse two. The message could have benefited them if they believed. There's that conditional promise. If you, then I. If you come to me, then you'll. But if you don't, then you don't. So um, it's just this warning over and over. Don't be like the Israelites in the wilderness. They heard a message. They said, nah, that's not for us. And they refused to actually obey the living God. And, you know, any of us could be in that category too if we're not careful. If we don't live in faith, some of us, I won't say some of us, but some people, um, I don't know, uh, presumably think that they believe. And there's absolutely no evidence. They're like, I'm good. So there's a heart test, like, Silver says, um, "Not that I don't think we should be constantly freaking out about how much fruit is being produced, but just is there witness to the faith? That's it. Is there witness to your faith that you claim to have?" So, verse three is—I don't know—pretty sobering. God swears in His wrath they won't enter. Thoughts, questions. Cross references. Yeah, what do you mean witness? When you said witness not, to the faith, mm -hmm. is there witness um, to my faith? Like, are you talking about us? Yeah, anything that testifies that your faith is indeed genuine. That could be the character of Jesus being produced in your life, the fruits of the Spirit, um, a change in heart, desires, the presence of conviction about sin. A sensitivity towards the things of God, um, you know, the comfort of the Spirit, uh, all these different things that will eventually begin to uh, manifest in a believer's life over time. Not all at once, you know. Who's witnessing? Like God, God as my witness? Is that what you mean? Or yeah. What do you mean the, well, Romans, Romans chapter 8 says the Spirit of God within us, He testifies, He bears witness that we're children of God. And it's like, well, how does he do that? By all the things he does through our life, you know, fruit, obedience, godly character. Um, so really the life change is going to be the witness to your faith that the Spirit of God will produce in you. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, yeah. Faith is never without witness. In every instance of someone believing, there's some kind of action or something that is 
you know, witnessing to the presence of their invisible faith, right? Because anyone can go, I have this. Well, I can't say you don't. It's invisible. And how do I know the Spirit of God is testifying to me that I'm a child of God, you know, by what He um, does in my heart and my life, in my mind, and the renewal, sanctification, the growing love for God, all that. So um, there's not one measurement. It's just the presence of God's work in your life. So. But yeah, I mean, and and like, how do you know that he's working in my life, or how do I tell? I. It's a good question. Um, like the, you know, if I, you're if you're a homeless bum on the street, how is how how do they tell that God's working in them? They because you mentioned like a bunch of things, but yeah, yeah. Well, I gotta besides, get going, guys. Hello, love that. you all. Have a good night. DJ. All right, buddy. Have a good night. Love you all. Bye-bye. Shalom. Bye-bye. But Grant, yeah, um, if you want, you and I can talk offline. I'd love to um, because I, it, it's obvious there's a lot of questions you have about that. Um, but I kind of want to move forward in the text, and then you and I can have an offline chat, or at least off the chat chat. <laughs> Because yeah, sure, that would no be a problem. deeper discussion for sure. Um, okay, I'd love to talk through those things with you. Just reach out to me and message me. Because yeah, there's always going to be a question after the question, and I want to make sure I do my best to help clarify as much as I can for you. All right, looks like no one else has anything to say. Let's go to verse four, or at least the end of verse three. It says, they will not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now, that's really interesting. Um, verse 3 reads like this, we who have believed enter that rest. And you go, well, how, how do you know that? Well, because he said in Psalm 95 that people who don't believe won't enter his rest. Okay, that makes sense. And you're like, well, why? Well, even though his works were finished from the foundation of the world, that that's part of like the how could they not have believed because God's works were finished so that should have been reason or at least part of their reason to believe and that's an interesting line of argument for me at least I don't know what your versions read but it's almost like man they didn't enter his rest even though his works were done from the foundation of the world it's like there's a connection between God resting and the the um, absurdity of them not entering into that rest, it's like almost he's done everything possible for you to enter into that. It's not that hard, <laughs> and yet it's there's only one way in. So I don't know, just not really thinking clearly tonight. Lewis, go ahead. Yes, brother man. Um. It's just a quick question, just to see where you stand on this. Um, on the rest, uh, do you agree that when it talks about his rest, it's talking about eternal rest, correct? Yes, spiritual okay. eternal rest. Okay, good. Yep, we probably should have defined that. We're not talking about taking a nap. We're talking about entering into uh, really a living, abiding relationship with God, which is to be at peace with him. That's the only way to have rest 
is to be at peace with God. Um, it's relationship. It's all these different dimensions. You can highlight one aspect of it, but it's not just either of whatever dimension you choose to emphasize. It's all these things. Um, but I think at the core of the concept of entering into rest is indeed what Jesus says in John seventeen three, um, that this is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. So if you're wondering, what does it mean to rest? It means you've entered into uh, a living, abiding relationship with the king of the universe. You're at peace with him. Uh, that's wonderful. That's, that's cause for rest. Outside of that, no. There's no cause for peace or rest if you're an enemy of God. Um, so it's very important. Joshua. Joshua. What it just made me think of was, um, forgive me if you heard this before, but I think, I feel like I said this last week. It's talking about an evangelist I listened to who says that, you know, you can go around a room. Sorry if you hear my cat meowing. I don't know what's wrong with my cat. You can go around a room and full of people and say, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And yes, like every single person is loved by God, but it's a whole nother thing to be loved by God, like, like to accept his love. And that's where I think the rest comes in, like just putting that trust in him. Silver, he uses an a analogy of a chair, putting your trust in a chair, like you put all your weight onto it. You sit down. And I think that analogy works well with rest as well. You know, you, you sit down, you put all your weight on it, put all your trust in it. And then that's really when you see that the chair holds you up. That's when you know for certain that the chair is sturdy. And with God, even like unshakable and just fully dependable. And when you do that, and it, again, it comes from listening to his voice, to the person asking, how do you know if God's working in your life? Um, I think he's working everyone's life because he desires everyone come to repentance, you know, like, and just enter into relationship with him. Like, it's the conviction. You, you just know that he's speaking to you. Although, like, for the majority of my life, I didn't listen, you know. It was just rebellious. And so it, that's where the hardening of the heart comes in, is when you don't listen, then it's just like there's not a voice even there after so long, you know. But once you start listening, putting your trust in him, you realize that he's in control like, you were never in control to begin with, and you're just finally, like, not going against the current anymore. I needed to hear that. Thank you. Praise God. One thing, uh, Joshua, that you brought to mind was, uh, well, it kind of just made me think about how to answer uh, Grant's question, which is, you know, how do I know God's working in my life? I, I don't see how as a believer, um, 
I would be completely unaware of how God is working in my life in every different way he, that he is. Like, it's going to be very obvious. Um, and you won't really have a question about it necessarily. Like, but I, but I think the question arises from, and I don't mean this in any kind of rude way, but, um, uh, an incomplete understanding of scripture, meaning the more that I know God's word, the more I can recognize his work in my life. But even if I have a very minimal understanding of scripture, I can still recognize at least one way as a believer that God is at work in my life. Like if the living God of the universe who breathed the stars and spoke everything, if he's going to work in my life, it's going to be very obvious as a believer, especially um, because of the discernment and the spirit of God and, and the new heart that I have. Like, I, I just find it like they, people use the analogy of salvation. Like if you encounter the king of the universe, the eternally existent one, if you encounter him and your life is the complete same, never changes, that's the equivalent, not even the equivalent, that's more ridiculous than getting claiming to have been hit by a semi truck and there's not a scratch on you. I got hit by a semi truck yesterday. Well, I think we would know there'd be some kind of evidence of impact in some way. And that that's what it's like to encounter God is that over time, I, I don't think you'll go, I, I just don't know if he's, you know, at work. It will be so so obvious, so plain on your life in some way, shape, or form. Um, I just think sometimes we don't see it because we're measuring, you know, how God's going to work in my life by how he's working in one other person's life. And I'm like, he's going to do that. And then we're only looking for that. So I just encourage you, Grant, to um, just maybe take a little, take a step back and go, hmm, Meditate on where in your life, like, I mean, think through where in your life you see evidence of God working that you might not have considered before, um, and really think through that. I think it will be pretty obvious um, when you think about it. I find it hard to believe that encountering God will leave a person completely unchanged. He will rock a person, and he does. Ken? Such good stuff. I just barely walked into. Ah. A lot of times we come into faith and belief and knowing for first and foremost, yes, we are looking for the salvation of the propitiation for our sins. That we're looking for that atonement. We're looking to be redeemed. We're looking to be healed. Many different facets on how we come in, but we haven't really learned anything yet. We've understood some things and our need to accept, to confess the truth. In repentance, we confess the truth. Jesus Christ, I need you. Now I don't know why I need you, but I got you. Now what? Right? And so we start thinking, well, I feel like I need something to happen. I feel like I need to see change. I feel like, and you just can insert here. And, and that's a lot of the doubt, only because we haven't had time to grow that confidence. And as Josh and, and Marcus had explained, a chair. You, you haven't had time to trust that chair yet. 
but through time, you sit there and you do the castanets on it years later. And so through time, you learn to trust and have confidence in that while you believe. But the evidence of it, a lot of times, a lot of people come so broken that they need time to rest in the Lord and be restored. The healing from all the hurt and sin that we cause on ourselves and on others to just be okay to wake up in the morning and say, God, thank you. That's fruit. We don't always see the fruit we're bearing because we're always looking for the fruit we're not seeing. Just because you're not seeing the fruit you want to bear doesn't mean God's not bearing fruit in you. Just having thankfulness in your heart that you have life in Christ. That's fruit. And sometimes we need to be completely transformed because the darkness was bad and the roots went deep and God's got a lot of pruning to do. So we just have to have patience and rest just like how uh, a chicken wants to put the wing over the chicks and say, I got you. I know you're hungry. I know your needs. I'm going to take care of you. And then we rest and let God. Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. Be still. Be still is to also say, let go. Let go of trying so hard. Because what you have been doing hasn't been working. That's why you came to Christ in the first place. So all the things that you have been doing, let it go. If God says, hey, it's okay to continue that, he will let you know. Hey, don't do that anymore. He will let you know. Let's try something new. When we get restored, we have to have time to be restored. And that is our wilderness in Christ and not the wilderness of the darkness of where we came from. Because Christ becomes our manna. Christ becomes that water out of the living rock. Christ becomes that pathway to salvation, that pathway to the promised land. There you go. There you go. You heard the man. Great job, Ken. Lee Pierre. I think I said your name right. Go ahead. Yeah, good night. Can everyone hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Okay, fantastic. Okay, I just wanted to say um, um, in relation to rest, um, Matthew eleven twenty eight says that, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, and in relation to rest, it it says to me that Christ is. You know, learn of him, the more that we learn from the word of God, the more that we apply the word of God to our lives, is the easier the stress and the burdens of life become. Because as you learn to trust more in his word, as you find encouragement in his word, the burdens of life becomes less for you. Because the way that you used to look at things before, you look at it differently now, the way that... Things used to affect your life before it will affect you differently now. You would have a, a new joy. You would have a you would experience life in a whole new way just because you have found rest 
in Christ. <laughs> and, and as you learn from him, as you learn his word, it encourages you, it strengthens you to face all the challenges that life, you know, throws at us every day. So I just wanted to mention that. That's a good point, because the, the kind of rest God calls us into is not without trouble and tribulation. It's actually rest in the midst of it. Psalm 23, David says, look, you, you prepare a table before my enemies. Like God is inviting us to just enjoy his fellowship and enjoy the meal that he's presenting to us in the midst of the dark world that we live in. So it's not rest once the circumstances align with, no, it's in the presence of this dark world until God makes it new. There is rest to be had both now and forever. And so that's the beauty of it. We're not waiting for the right circumstance. Uh, Jesus is uh, the peace of God embodied for us to have a relationship with the Father. Daniel, go ahead, my man. Hey, hey man. Um, just listening to everyone and just and the scriptures that we were on, I was um, it just come to me a bit more when I focused on that part where it says, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world and listening to every, everything we're talking about, I, I, I and even just our, my own walk, I guess, and our walk that we share with others and we fellowship, it's that journey that, you know, often like in Grant's question is like, and I think Ken put it well, because often when you first find that salvation, then you're like, okay, what next, right? We want the outcome. Um, it's like we want God without coming to know him. That's why it works to believe. And I think that part where it says, and this is where we can have the full, I guess, assurance from God and the full confidence in him. It's completed before the foundation of time, before hum humans, right, actually were able to go and do what we did to, to the world. So there's a completed work that, that God did, everything was good, and then he rests in it. There's this place that exists, this kingdom where man and God together exist, and that's through relationship. And that's what he's bringing us into. So that way we can now, as we go through this life and we've come to know and we've seen our need for Jesus, we've, we've surrendered ourselves and allowed his spirit and his, him to come into our lives. There's a rest that he will now bring us through so that we get to, like I said in Psalm 23, it says, I shall not want. I shall not want for anything that is not of him. And I will, re I will want to remain in that place. And I'll, tr I'll learn to trust that that chair is sturdy, that everyone's mentioning, because it's a journey. It's not the outcome. Because the outcome was already completed from the foundation of the world, we have to trust in that. So I was just sort of seeing that connection there as well with everything. Amen. I love it. Yeah, that just that statement got me. Yeah, I'm reading it in the NIV, reading it a little differently. It says, "We who have believed enter that rest." Uh, then he declared in his anger, "They shall not enter my rest." And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. So there's some line of reasoning that goes like this. Uh, there's something about God finishing creation that makes way for the rest that we have in Christ or that makes it more reasonable for us to enter into that, right? Um, I don't know if it's imitation of the Father. I don't know if it's provision of the Father. I don't know if it's him doing everything necessary and and um, making everything set up to what it needs to be for us to enjoy rest. Maybe it's all those ideas, but the rest yeah. God invites us into, like he's made, it, you know what it reminds me of? This is exactly what it reminds me of. When Solomon started his reign, 
uh, over the southern kingdom. Or no, over the, he was over both. When he's the king of Israel, his dad, David, made provision for Solomon to be able to uh, build the temple, not just fund the temple, but also David cleared all the enemies so that Solomon could be at peace and focus on building the temple and reigning over Israel. In other words, David's work and labor and and sweat and toil and warfare made way for Solomon to be able to uh, do the works of God in a restful state without fearing the enemies around him. And this is actually what God wanted for the people of Israel when they're coming out of Egypt. The initial call uh, or command to Pharaoh from Moses was, let my people go, thus saith the Lord, so that uh, they can go and you know worship him a three days journey at the mountain. And there was something about God was demanding Pharaoh, let my people go so they can serve me. And that was what freedom really was. That's what freedom is. That's what rest is. It's entering into a, a, a place and a relationship with God where you can just serve him without this looming fear of what's to come or who's around or how will it work out because you know that you're at peace with him and that's all that matters. And that's the provision David made for Solomon to just be able to focus on the work of God. And Solomon, of course, used that. Uh, but man, David provided all the, all the, the work needed uh, for Solomon to just kind of enter in. Like, I guess I'll just start building, you know? I mean, I mean I, was also, deals at a goal. Was good. Yeah, so, but we, that provision you're talking about is, is an archetype. It was a, a pointing back to God's provision that after he made creation, he, he, he entered into that rest now to be enjoyed. Like you're saying, so that's why Solomon's prayer was even for wisdom. He actually got that, you know, it was all done for him. So now he wanted to know God and come into that and have his 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 wisdom because he couldn't do it himself to lead these people, you know, without God. So when we actually trust him, we actually turn our reliance onto him because we can trust him. And I think that's why I like it says from the foundations of time, we can trust God so that even when he says, I said, these people will not enter rest, his judgment is just judgment because he's provided from the very, very beginning of the foundation of time. So he's made available for everyone. And so therefore he can also judge who can enter or not. And that's where that part at the beginning of this chapter talks about, you know, we should make care that we don't harden our hearts. Well, and today is the day and all these things, we should actually not harden our hearts because he's made that provision and we don't want to reject it from him out of disobedience. You know, and I think that's when you talk that just I saw that, too, with the Solomon example and everything like that. It's always pointing to a finished work in God that he's provided. And we while we not yet see clearly, we can trust him because he made it from the beginning of time so that all men may be able to be able to, be able to, be able to enter into this. It's almost like you look at creation as the as the evidence that re- true rest is available. This has always been the model God is working with. And you'll, you'll see time after time throughout history where God makes provision for someone to enter rest and they abuse that and actually flip it on its head so that they end up in rebellion. You know, whether it's uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, God provides this beautiful world and they rebel. Or whether it's, you know, the Israelites coming out of Pharaoh's you know, s- slavery in Egypt and they come, you know, out and they go, you know what, we don't want to follow God. He made all the provision. And then he actually brings them in the promised land. 
And he goes, you guys are going to inherit fields. You've never, you know, toiled uh, or tilled. You're going to inherit houses you've never built, trees you've never watered or planted. Everything is set up just for you. Every time God is just, just consistently saying, I have made provision. Will you just come and enjoy and trust me? And that doesn't look mm-hmm. like sitting around. It actually looks like obeying his voice because you're so sure of what he said. And so taking him at his word and entering into his rest, they're synonymous. But it looks like walking in faithfulness to him. It, it really does. You go, how do you know you believe? Do you take him at his word in any area of your life? Is there any area of your life where you go, he knows better than I do and I'll obey because I trust his care. You know what it sounds like in a really simple way? It sounds like God is just screaming at them like, going, just let me be God. Just let me do my thing. <laughs> yeah. Your yeah. job is to trust me and look to me and do what I say. And I promise it's yeah. going to go great for you. And uh, people <laughs> just don't that. Man. I mean, there are more examples, especially throughout Israel's history, where provision has been made. And they go, you know what? We'd rather run with this and go away from God instead of, you know, sit at the table he's prepared. And then Jesus will turn around the New Testament and go, look, some of you guys aren't going to be at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they go, how dare you? Well, you don't have the faith of Abraham. Tax collectors, prostitutes, and Gentiles, (laughs) they're going in before you guys. Yikes. So then, you know, the invitation to rest is always there. All right, let's see who we got hands up. Luis, Luis, sorry. Yes, my brother. I heard uh, trust mentioned a lot, a lot, a lot when it comes, uh, you know, when it comes down to faith. Um, But I wanted to add another dimension to that because I know that it's important to know. uh, And I know that I may be getting a little bit uh, ahead of, of the ship here because this is actually in Hebrews 11. So it's a little bit farther up, but I just wanted to read this real quick. Um, So now faith is the realization of what is hoped for. We realized it and the proof of things not seen. And um, with that, I want to say also that verse 7 says, By faith Noah, having been warned about things not yet seen, out of reverence constructed an ark for deliverance of his family, by which he pronounced the sentence of the world and became a heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And so I wanted to say that for the uh, reason of not just trusting, but knowing that he did it. Because we know he created the world. We don't think he created the world. You know, we don't trust that he created the world. We know he did it. So, you know, the same way we know because we have that spirit of truth in us. We have the Holy Spirit. That's the the witness saying, yes, he did it. He created this world. Yes, you're saved. You enter his eternal rest. Yes, that's the witness. And so it's not just trusting is knowing and that's it that's all i needed to say yeah amen silver 
Ma Maus? How do you say your name? Ah, sorry. Silver Mousy. So this is either going to open up a six-pack cans of worms, or it's going to allow you to wrap up this meeting. I'm not oh, sure which. Those are two very different things. Yes, they are. What everybody's trying to wrap their heads around is is a lot of concepts that all tie in together and feed one another. When you have a belief, you're convinced of something in your nephish. The nephish is the soul. It's what we call the mind. Soul and mind are basically the same thing, but they had two different words for them in the Greek. That's why you see Deuteronomy 6 say soul, but in Matityahu it says soul and mind. Yeshua was not adding to the word. He was clarifying. Out of those things which you are convinced, you have a bridge between that and your, what we call lev, or the heart. And that's where the motive and intent, those things that you've reasoned out in your seat of reasoning, the soul or the mind, uh, and you, you put them to a plan of action. You, you, you set with them a resolve and, and a, a, a method of doing. That comes out through your hands. And when people say they see your faith, they see what you're doing. That's what you do with your hands. If you have experienced the eternal and you become a threat to the enemy, the enemy will do everything he can to turn your focus away from the eternal. That's how you know you're doing it right. You're usually in trouble with something because he will come at you with everything he's got to drag your attention away from that rest and put you in turmoil. If you have experience of the eternal, it makes you want to do the things of the eternal to follow the eternal. This is where the doing of the law and the giving of yourself to God and to others in those things that build and edify and don't tear down and persecute come into play. We're not doing what we do because we have to. We have a perfect payment for breaking an eternal law to take care of an eternal judgment. Yeshua is the only thing that pays that. However, these things God said was good. We want to do what God says because it is good. And so we do what we do because of who we are. You being the witness of him working in your life and his being the witness of his scriptures and the might and the power he has displayed in the world. Make it to where you want to serve something like that. He is bigger. He is more powerful. He is everlasting. He doesn't change. You can lean into him, which is to trust him. And that makes you want to do what you want to do to be more like him because he's solid. You become a witness to others because they see your faith, what you do with your hands, because of those things which are the intent of your and motive of your lev, because you've been convinced of them in your nephish or mind because you had experiential witness yourself of the eternal. There's a lot more you can drag into that, but everyone is piecemealing all the different parts and there's not a flow to see how they work together. They can only work together. They have to be put together in a particular way, in a particular fashion, with particular ties. And if the, the protocol and structure that they're supposed to work in is not there, this is where confusion comes in. 
and you don't know how to explain it and you don't know how to accept it and you only hear in part and see in part even with that explanation it's not the whole because no eye is seen and no ear is heard what the lord has in store for them for those who are called according to his purpose that's a big qualification and he's called from the foundations of the world right he's already known what's going to go on before it goes down he's just watching it play out he knows the beginning from the end that doesn't say he forces your hand that's actually what we were talking about uh, when you came in, Jason, we're looking at Ezekiel 30, uh, 36, seeing how he makes the way to do all these things. And he provides a way that is positive to make you want to follow him, to make you do the things that you do. But he doesn't force your hand because he's given us the freedom of that choice. And that freedom of choice was laid down at the original covenant. I set before you life and death. Do these things, you live. You will cleave to me. You don't do these things, you will be cut off from me. And you will lead yourself into mavet, or death. Utter nothingness, as though you never existed. That's the concept of mavet. That's what Yeshua has conquered. He has preserved us in a way that allows us to cleave to the eternity so that we do, don't go into utter nothingness as though we never existed. So the way you know you're doing it right is your life looks like examples you see in the text. If you don't know you're doing it right, you haven't had enough life experience and compound. You also don't know enough. You got to put your nose in the book and read, 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 read. Get it explained. You get it in your ears. You talk it out. You chew on it. That is what we call meditate. I've had one verse go through my head for three weeks. I've had a passage that I've, I've, I've chewed on before for a couple of months. I've had independent words that it took me the better part of, of a week to put together because there was so much I had to drag in. But that's part of chewing on the word, getting to know him through that thing he's given us, which he called good. And so if you don't know if you're doing it right, there are ways to compensate for that. And you start with the understanding, the knowledge. You take all of that together. You try to put the pieces together in some fashion, learning how they work. That's the understanding. How do the scriptures relate to one another? How do they play out in a life? And then when you start seeing the beginning from the end yourself, oh, I know if I do that, I'm going to get this thing over here. Maybe I need to do these things, or maybe I don't need to do that, and then I won't get this other outcome. That's wisdom. And all of it plays a part in our witness of the eternal, wanting to be like him so that we can be the action in front of others, and they can see our faith and witness it experiential so that they praise our Father in heaven. And that's the way we are the conduit and a light to the world with his light shining through us. It's a multi-layer thing, just like the family. Family's multi-layer. You have the authority, you have the, the, the creation force, and you have the, the picture of Elohim uh, as eternity through your progeny. It's multi-layer. And, and if any one of those are missing, it fails to, complete, com to be a complete unified example of, of the Father in heaven. What examples do you see in your life that uh, tells you that God is working through you? 
there are honestly so many I I'm sure I've forgotten a lot of them. We've had we've had neighbors uh, give us things we need just in the time we've needed it. We've had jobs come about at the tail end of the tail end of the emergencies of the last of whatever's that's happened four times, not twice, not three times. That's happened four times. Oh, those are great examples. Thank you. I should have walked. I should have, have been taken out in a rollover. I came out through the windshield without a scratch. Not. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I have had things in my life I've been preserved uh, out, out of in school, in personal life, in family, in extended family, like I just wasn't a part of the chaos. There's literally so many I've Part of my mind, I'm not going to say it's been closed off. It's not really, I don't think it's numb. It's just, I have such a trust in God. I don't even worry about it. And if something happens, it's like, I expect him to move in my life because I know he loves me. I don't even think about it anymore. I just know he is who he is and he is the good king. And he knows what I need before I ask for it. I've stopped even kind of asking because I feel it's petty. I serve such an awesome, large God that I don't have any doubt about whatever I need for wherever he needs me in life to simply be there. He's done it so many times. So anyway, I for whatever that's worth. <laughs> Sorry I went so long. Amen. Those are worth a million dollars, Silver. <laughs> I wonder sometimes. No, that was gold. I needed to hear that. Grant, I hope some of that helps. You're, if you're in the good fight... Yeah, it helped a lot. Thanks. If you're in the good fight, you know you're in the good fight, not because it all goes wrong, but because you'll be able to start identifying those things that are literally dragging your attention away from eternity. And if that mm-hmm. happens, you have no doubt it's the enemy because he hates eternity. That's right. I'm going to get to Abatha. Go ahead, Abatha. Thank you for waiting. Hello. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Um, so this is my first time in this group, and I just wanted to say one thing. Like, something that you said, I, like, wrote it down because I felt like it was, like, a really big point for my life personally and kind of clarified something that I really needed to hear. And I just wanted to, like, restate that. You said taking him at his word and entering in his rest is synonymous. And I just thought that was like incredible to think about that comparison. Um, and I literally just wanted to like repeat that. That's it. 
I mean, when you really think about that, thank you for sharing that with that. That's the crux of what we're saying to our meeting is that, I don't know, we overcomplicate faith. Everyone wants to dissect it and break it down into nine different textbooks. And faith is amazing. It's profound. But at the same time, it's very simple. You take him at his word. And you can explain the nefesh and silver. That was probably the best way you've explained it before. I've heard you explain it several times. But that's what it is. As God goes, hey, you want rest? And you go, yeah. Because my son's worked for it. You want it? Yeah. And you take him at his word. And that's going to look a bunch of different ways throughout your life. It's going to look a little different. Um, But what Silver's getting at is the, you might say, the necessary fruit of growing obedience. Because we're all talking about the chair. The chair is awesome. And we all want to sit on the chair. But sometimes the chair, you know, in our own mind feels a little shaky. It's not. He's steadfast. He's stable. But the more you walk with him and do what he says and see how he comes through and and you have moments like silver where, you know, at the last minute God comes through and answers your prayer, your your confidence in him grows so that the next time he tells you to do something, you have a more of a trust to actually do it. Um, so, yeah, thank you for sharing. That's going to resonate with someone. Why don't you end us, Ken? We got to get out of here. Hey, man. <clears throat> for all of you who are still seeking, who are still trying to just figure it out, who just got their feet wet in the waters of the Holy Spirit, it, it can easily become overwhelming. But as Scripture says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has its own worries. Worry about today. What has God set you out that you can do just for today? And so we bring God into our plants. If God is in your heart, then include him into what you're going to do today. Lord, I got to go to work today. Lord, I got to deal with this person today. Lord, I want to love my family today. Lord, I want to just be a little bit more kinder to that person. So we do this day in and day out. We die to the flesh and we live in spirit. And through that, we will learn his understanding. Because that's seeking him. That's meditating on his word. He says to do these things, to go forward and love your neighbor. He says to go forward and find ways to be gentle and showing that you are living a life set apart from who you were before. That is your witness. That is your testimony. And, and that is just part of saying, I was over here before lost. I reached out to Christ. And I got transformed. And every day is a testimony to who you are. Some days are great, some days are mundane, and some days not so great. And it, it all accounts to seeking God, meditate on his word. And so this is taking rest in him. You have his word on your tongue, in your heart, and that transforms you. You may not see it in action today, but you may be speaking it in words and your actions will follow. And so day in and day out, don't worry about the next 10 years ahead. If you are trying to die daily to the flesh and live in spirit, 10 years comes real fast and you're going to look back and go, I was what? I did what? Thank you, Lord.
Thank you for transforming me. And you're going to have nothing but thankfulness. And enjoy the process. Enjoy the process. That's a great place to end tonight. Wonderful. While I'm eating, Ken, do you just want to pray for us? Amen. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much that we have the blessing and luxury to come together because you have provided everything for us to be here today to seek you, to learn about you, to gain wisdom and understanding and insight. Thank you for that, Lord. I pray that your word reaches everybody. I pray it transforms them every single day with the one heart that you have given us. I pray that we continue to encourage and bear each other's burdens and that your word transforms them. And so the next time that we get to meet, we get to hear about the blessings that are happening in our lives and I continue to keep seeking you in your word. Thank you again, Father, for everything that you have provided your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you guys, and we'll see you next Thursday. This was an awesome study. Probably one of my favorites. And if you didn't know, we're going to um, post these. And so if you ever miss one, you know, we'll uh, post it to the podcast, and we'll link it in the announcements. But, um, man, what a blessing. Just remember, you know, when it comes down to what it means to trust and rest in God, you're just seeking to please the king. I just want to please the king. And so go and do that. And I'll see you guys next Thursday. And then unmute your mic so I can hear you guys say bye. bye. See you later. Bye. 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 So long. So long, Mahi. Later. Adios. Man, I wish we had this many people all the time. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think I came in on the tail end of all of this, but it was good. It was good. It was really good. So the yeah, whole thing will get posted? The, the whole thing? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's funny because right before this whole thing started, we were talking about this very same topic. And then the Holy Spirit decided, well, we're going to continue talking about it. <laughs> That's great. Maybe he just prepped us. Amen. I think what was on the schedule was already on the schedule. If anything was rogue, it was the pretext. <laughs> God's, God's or, problem. Or, or our minds. Or our minds. Because sometimes our minds are not aligned. You, you know, it's funny you should observe that. That's kind of the way things happen in my life. I, I have no doubts about things that are belong to the eternal yeah thank you for what you said before uh mouse because it really made me think it's what i'm going through at the moment i'm going through a wee stage where i'm learning about god's providence and and that his hands just over everything every tiny aspect in my life and i suppose in the bigger picture there's really nothing i need to be worrying about literally nothing um because it's it, all it, he's got it in control well the way that it's described is that the the 